Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn to Galatians chapter 6? We are going to wrap up our series this morning. We've been going through talking about the new life that we've been called to live as Christians, the freedom that we have as a new creation. And today we're going to look at how it is that Paul wraps this whole thing up, what he, the final words that he leaves for the churches in this area. Uh, for me, one of the things, and you guys are always like, why do you tell me so many stories about yourself? It's getting weird. Well, this is a good illustration, that's why. I have belly button weirdness. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't like my belly button. I don't like other people's belly buttons. Um, don't ever touch my belly button. I can't touch my belly button. When I see those Pillsbury dough commercials, like they poke <laughs> them in the belly button, it makes me kind of like, I just can't take it. Every now and then my kids will be wrestling around with me. You know how they're always just like poking and clawing and grabbing? Every now and then they'll get me in my belly button. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I got to take a break. I can't, oh gosh, I want to throw up. And so as a kid, this presented a problem because when I got old enough to bathe myself, I had to figure out how do I wash my belly button? Because like I, I can't stand to actually wash it myself because it's so gross feeling to me, but I don't want to be dirty. So... I, I remember one time talking to one of my friends. This is, you know, in elementary school when you're completely insecure about yourself and have no idea how anything in the world works. I was like, hey, do you ever, like, get weird stuff in your belly button? And he's like, no, gross. Oh, that'd be disgusting. Do you? I'm like, no, goodness, no. <laughs> no, not a chance. I'm just asking for my friend who uh, has an issue with that, but certainly not me. And so what that taught me as a young kid is you can't ever be real with anybody about anything that you're going through. Like if I talk to anybody about something that I might have some concerns about with myself, something I'm questioning in myself, I, I have to hide these things from people or else they're all going to think I'm a freak. They're going to isolate me. They're going to judge me, condemn me, all of these other things. So I'll set up this nice pattern that continues to affect me now 30 years later of trying to hide every weird thing about myself from everyone else unless I'm on a stage on Sunday morning with my <laughs> church and then I just feel free sharing everything. But the same thing happens to us spiritually. There are things that we struggle with spiritually things that are less than desirable about ourselves. Maybe there are questions that you have about your walk. There are questions that you have about a sin issue that you're going through. You're even wondering, is this a sin issue? But what's happened is because of experiences in the past, you've learned that I can't share these things with people. You know that if, I mean, this is what happens. In church, we're supposed to be this place of grace and forgiveness. We receive that from God, but it's not something we receive from each other ever. It's like Jesus knows every wrong thing you've ever done and he's brought forgiveness and healing to you and we tell everybody, go to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. What you're going through, Jesus forgives you. But then we create a culture where if you share anything with me about what you're going through, I'm gonna be like, oh my gosh. Did you hear what so-and-so did? And so you start sinning by gossiping about someone else. What happens though, and I've, this has been my life story, when I decided I wanted to follow Jesus, the culture I grew up in was, okay, when you get saved, like you're, you're, you're perfect now, you're like one of the angels and you don't sin. But that wasn't my experience. I continued to struggle with sin issues in my life. To this day, I continue to struggle with sin issues inside of my life. But what I did was I hid everything. So when you're a young man and you're going through dealing with lust issues, you think that nobody else in the entire world is going through that kind of a struggle. You think you're the only young man in the whole world that has an issue with that. 
And that's a lie. That's something that everybody struggles with. But you keep it to yourself because you think if anybody knows what I'm going through, they're going to think, oh, you pervert. You know? Or they're going to like you can't play on the worship team anymore. Or you can't be a greeter at church. And you want to do those things because you draw strength from the Christian community that's around you. But you feel like you have to hide all these things. And when you hide something in the dark, what happens to it? It grows. You don't overcome sin issues in your life by keeping it to yourself. You overcame the power of sin in your life by going to Jesus, confessing your sin to him, and asking him for forgiveness and for strength and power to overcome that sin. And that's the way we were designed to work in the church, in the Christian community, is when we struggle with sin issues, instead of hiding it in the dark and trying to overcome it on our own and failing again and again and again and allowing the power of sin to grow inside of us and to take over more areas of our life and struggle with shame and condemnation and guilt and keeping it hidden from everybody so you can keep up your image and nobody's going to condemn you or shame you, it just continues in this cycle and you will never overcome that. But when you bring something into the light, when it's exposed to the light, it loses all of its power over you. Is that the way that we are living, though? Because this is the call that we have. This is the culture that we've been called to live according to as Christians, of where we can come and we can be real with each other, where we can confess sin to each other, so where we can share what it is that's going on inside of our hearts and bring it to light so that we can have victory in that area so there can be healing for us. That's why in James it says, confess your sins to one another so that there can be healing. There's a connection between the confession and the healing. And it's easy to say, okay, that's great, but who am I going to confess to? Because I think so many times we haven't created the culture or we don't have the understanding ourselves of what it is that God's called us to be as the church. And this is what Paul says as he's wrapping up his uh, letter in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1-3. through three. He says, Brothers and sisters, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they are deceiving themselves. What he's laying out is this is the way that we're supposed to approach sin in the church. Uh, the way that we relate to sin for people that aren't following Jesus is completely different. Like, they should sin. Honestly, that, why would you not live following every desire inside of your heart if you haven't decided to follow Jesus? But there's also a way that we're called to react to sin inside of the church body itself. And the first way that we're called to do that, Paul says, is to treat each other like family. And that's how he starts it out. He says, brothers and sisters. This is how he begins this address. Brothers and sisters. And he's doing that to remind us that we aren't individuals, that the people who are in the church aren't just random strangers to us, but that we've all been adopted into the family of God. It says that we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Every person who follows Jesus is a joint heir, which means that they are your equal. It means that they have the same rights, as you do spiritually, it means that they're going to be able to have the opportunity to receive the same blessings that you're going to be able to receive spiritually. They are of, uh, every person is of just infinite value and worth. Every single person. Every person is someone that Jesus laid down his life for because he loved them so much. 
And we need to remember that when we come together, although we might not have a blood relation biologically, there is blood that ties us all together through Jesus. We are all brothers and sisters, every single one of us. And the obligation that comes along with love is a responsibility to care for each other and to put the interests of someone else above our own. The problem is, so many times, the way that we interact and behave as a family isn't the way that we should. How many of you guys have a rivalry with one of your siblings? You start out as kids, and you'd see if something great would happen to them, and you'd be like, like I, I'm mad because I wanted that to happen to me. Or when some, one of your siblings, they fail at something, how many of you ever had a point in your life where like, yeah, I'm looking better now, aren't I, Mom and Dad? Or you'd see the weakness inside of one of your siblings and you despise them for it. We all think that was a part of our childhood, but honestly, how many of us are still struggling with that kind of stuff in our family dynamics? Every single one of us. Because we have a wrong view of family. We have a wrong view of the worth of other people. We're still dealing with jealousy, insecurity, pride, all of those things inside of us. And so when that happens in our biological family, it's going to happen in our spiritual family as well. The funny thing about family is, how many of you guys have said some pretty harsh things to family members? I got two hands. I'd raise a foot if I could, but I'll fall over. (laughs) I've said some terrible things to my sisters. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. God, forgive me. I've said some horrible things to them, but I've gotten in fights because someone said something not that bad about one of my sisters. I was like, who are you to talk about my sister? Like, I'm the only one that gets to be a jerk to my sisters. (laughs) You better treat them with respect. But what if we just treated them with love in the first place? What if when something good happened to them, we celebrated it with no sense of insecurity about ourselves? What if when they fell, when something bad happened to them, instead of feeling like, hey, I'm looking good now, or I told them that was going to happen, they deserve this. What if we pitied them for that and did everything we could lay down our rights, our privileges, our blessings so that we could go to them and to help them? My little sister, uh, she was a very interesting child. She was angry. And so whenever she'd get mad, she'd just try to self-harm. And she was way too young to understand what that was. And so I remember one time she got mad and she grabbed this stick and she was trying to touch a power line with it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what are you doing? And so she's about three and I'm five. And I'm just old enough to realize, I remember the videos in you know, preschool about not touching power lines. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my little sister is going to die. And I need to do something to help her. Because if I don't intervene here, her life is going to be over. Now the problem was she didn't want to be helped at that point. She wanted to touch that power line with that stick. So I remember like running and tackling her and like picking up the stick and throwing it away. And then she's chasing me with the stick, trying to hit it. She won't let me kill herself. And <laughs> I was just like one of those mean brother moments. But I did everything I could because I knew that if I didn't intervene, if I didn't do something, she was going to be destroyed. And now, 30 years later, she's pretty grateful for that. At the time, uh, she was not grateful whatsoever, but I knew that I needed to do something so that she could continue to live. And so I put myself at risk. I thought about, like, what happens if she's touching the power line with a stick and I go to push her away? Am I going to get shocked? And at this point, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, I just got to do something to save my sister. And this is what Paul is saying, is that we have to have that same kind of mentality with each other. You have to be able to say, when someone is caught in sin, I have to go to them. I can't look at them and despise them for their weakness. I can't say, see, I told you that if you listen to that rap music, this is what was going to happen to you. 
or you know, if you're doing this or that or making different decisions, that's not the time to address that with them. When someone is caught in sin and their life is in danger, when they are spiritually at risk, it says that we who are led by the Spirit, that means those of us who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit of God inside of us, we're supposed to go to that person gently. Gently is the key. But we're supposed to go to them. It's easy for us to look at someone who's a brother or sister and see that they're caught in a sin and be like, well, it's really none of my business. I don't want to do anything. I don't want them to get offended with me. But if you go to someone gently in the right way because you see that what they're doing is going to cause destruction inside of their life and it's going to cause harm and it's going to cause distance relationally between them and God, and that's the responsibility that we have. That's the responsibility of love. That's the responsibility of family members. But the approach that we take to it has to be right. You can have someone's best interest in mind and do a really bad job of helping them. And that's why Paul says that the goal in this is restoration. When we go to someone who's caught in a sin, the goal is always restoration. That caught in sin, what it means is to be overcome or to be overwhelmed by a sin. Like you fell into a pit. You didn't see it coming, but you find yourself trapped now. And that's what it's talking about is every single one of us, even if we're led by the Spirit of God, there are pits and there are snares out there that the enemy has set up for us. And if we're not careful, we're going to fall into them. I've fallen into them. I will fall into them again in the future. And I will need a brother or sister who's going to come alongside of me and help me out of that pit. But when we go to someone who's caught in a pit, how is, what's the goal for? Is it to call them out on their sin? To be like, hey, like you're making Jesus cry. <laughs> Thanks? Is it to condemn, how could you, after you experienced the grace of God, you would turn and do something like this? That's not the goal. He says we go to them gently with the goal of restoration. And what restoration means is it's used to talk about how a doctor would set a bone. It's talking about mending something that's broken so that it can heal, so that it can be repaired, so it can become full functioning again. It's easy to play horse doctor. Have you guys ever seen that? I love it. If I was going to be a vet, I would specialize in horses. It's got to be the easiest job in the world. Is a bone broken? It's going to be okay. You're, you're all good. Well, bone's broken? Uh-oh. You know, that's the only way to fix a horse. It's the easiest job in the world. And we as Christians, we play horse doctor. You see someone with a broken bone, you're like, oh, they're, they've walked away. They're backslidden. That's not going to be good for them. Their name is no longer in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the easy way to do it. But we're called to go to people gently. We're called to go to them with the goal of restoration. Restoration between us. Restoration between them and their father. Restoration of that brokenness that the sin has caused inside of their life. Because if we aren't people who go about it with the goal of restoration even if they're able to overcome it, even if they're able to walk away from the sin, if you don't set that bone for them and help them in that healing process, then they're going to walk around the rest of their life with a limp. About five years ago, my wife was at work, and uh, I was, had half a day off work, so I was going in late. And so I'm sitting there by myself, like, life is good. We were uh, just newly, or no, we weren't pregnant yet. Sorry, I'm getting my story mixed up. 
but like life was good anyways. And we knew we were going to be coming to Ann Arbor to plant a church, and so I'm excited about that, and I'm dreaming, and my alarm goes off, and I hate my alarm with everything inside of me, because you're just at perfect peace with the world, like, meh, 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 and it's doing everything it can to wake you up. So I run at my alarm clock. I can't have it next to the bed, because I'll hit snooze forever until I miss the whole day of work. So I had to set it away from me, and the alarm's going off, and I jump out of bed to turn it off, because I just hate the thing. I want to turn it off by the second beep. And I'm going, I jump out of bed like I always do to turn it off, but I had my legs crossed when I was sleeping, so they were asleep as well, even though my brain was up. And so I jumped up, and I just landed awkwardly on the side of my foot, and it snapped, and I'm just laying there on my back on the floor, confused, have no idea why I'm in so much pain, what's going on, why I'm laying on the floor, and the alarm's still going off. And I was like, oh gosh, what just happened? Well, what happened was I broke my foot when I jumped out of the bed and landed on it wrong but I'm a man. I don't go to the doctor. So I, I go to work that day, and I'm like doing this. Are you okay, Jeremy? I'm just carrying my cross, you know? Like I'm playing it up, trying to get the sympathy out of it, walking around. Do you want me to go get your lunch out of the fridge? No, I can make it. I'm strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, trying to look as spiritual as possible. My wife like gets home from work that day, and she's like, what? you need to go to the doctor. And I'm like, maybe if I was weak, you know, like, <laughs> I'm tough. Look at me. Look at me. I was doing insanity back then. So I was like, Sean T wouldn't go to a doctor. And so I'm like, I don't go to a doctor. And I, I keep limping and it hurts like crazy every step I take. But I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I got this. I got this. And so finally she's like, all right, if it's been a month and you're still limping, you have to go to the doctor. I'm like, all right, if it's a month. Well, a month comes and goes, and I'm still like, oh, gosh. And so I go to the doctor finally, and he does the x-ray, and he's like, yep, it's official. I'm like, what? He's like, you're stupid. <laughs> he was a really blunt guy. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you broke your foot, and it's healed back. You can see right here. There's nothing we can do about it but break it and fix it for you. And I'm like, oh. I am stupid. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, well, can I like, get through life without doing that? And he's like, yeah, it might be okay. So it took me nine months to get over the pain of every single step that I took. Nine months. And even still to this day, when I'm doing too much, that foot will start to hurt me. I carry a limp. I have been injured by myself. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> But because I didn't reach out to anybody else for help, I never received full healing. Because there was nobody there to restore me, to set my bones so that it could be right again, I will carry a limp around for the rest of my life. Have we done that spiritually? Have you put yourself in the place of where you've fallen into that pit, you've been ensnared, and you can't get out, but you just keep trying on your own. You're trying to climb up over that pit. You're trying to get over it. And maybe you can get out of that pit someday by your own power, but are you going to ever be whole again? Or what if we never go to the people that we see that are trapped? What if we just let them stay in that pit because it's not our business? What if we just leave them there because we're afraid that they might be offended by us? I'm not saying this is what we do to everybody. Like We don't become the police. But when there's people in your circle, when you see friends, people God's given you influence with, and you see them like that, you have a responsibility 
of the responsibility of love for a family member to go to them in gentleness to bring restoration to them. And they might refuse it, and that's on them. They can be stupid like me and just go around the rest of their life with a limp. But we have a responsibility because of love. Paul says the only thing we should ever owe each other is a debt of love, and that's something that every single one of us has. Every single one of us in this family have a debt of love to each other. But the pits are real. The snares and the traps are real. And we're all going to find ourselves in them at times and need someone. And we're all going to see others who are in the pit. And they need us. They need us to be the miracle they were praying for. They need us to be the help they've been seeking. They need us to be the one who goes to them gently to bring restoration to them. And that's always always has to be the goal. And I can't tell you how many times as a pastor it's you know, brought a new level of this to me of having to go to people when I see that they are doing something that's destructive, when I hear that they are caught in something or they've been overwhelmed by a sin and there's no way out for them and I have to go to them. This difficult conversations, these are never the ones that you're excited about. Like, hey, so I heard you're cheating on your wife. How's that going? That's not a comfortable conversation to have. But because I love that person, because of the relationship I have with them, when I see someone that's living a life of materialism and greed, or when I see someone that's dealing with immorality or uh, greed, when I see someone that's dealing with gossip and they're a part of my family, I have to go to them gently. And I can't tell you how many just beautiful restorations there have been. God just comes into the moment. His power and his grace are there in it. When I humble myself to come to someone to be vulnerable with them and ask them to be vulnerable and real with me, that's the way that the true restoration comes. When you go to someone, you say, hey, listen, I can see that you're struggling with this in your life. That's going to lead you to destruction. And I love you enough that I don't want that for you. And I know that that's going to cause distance between you and Jesus. And I know that you don't want that. I know that you want just more intimacy with God than you've ever experienced. I know that you want to live out that holy call that's on your life, but you've been overwhelmed. You've been taken by this sin. But through Jesus and through me coming alongside and helping you, you can overcome this. And you don't have to feel guilt and condemnation and shame about the sin that you're struggling with. It says that we all, there's, the only temptations that we struggle with are those that are common to all humanity. You're not alone in that you struggle with something. We all struggle with this. But because Jesus overcame all sin, now we can overcome all sin. And God has created this beautiful family that we're a part of, where we come alongside each other, and it says that we carry each other's burdens. Because when you're dealing with a sin issue in your life, it feels like a weight. It's an overwhelming burden that's on you. Not only are you stuck in a pit somewhere, but you've got a 200-pound backpack on you. And it makes it so that you can't move. It makes it so that you're worn down. It makes it so that there is no way for you to move forward in your faith and in your walk with God and moving into the destiny that he's called you to because of this weight that's on you. And Paul says that what we need to do is we need to come alongside of each other and we need to carry these burdens. We need to put them on ourselves. This is the model that Jesus set for us. He said that, come to me, you who are weary. I'm going to give you rest. 
I'm gonna take that burden off of you. It says, cast all your cares onto Christ. And it says that he's gonna give you a yoke that is light. And you know what the difference is between a burden and a yoke? A burden, that's something that you're carrying yourself and it weighs you down. When you're yoked, that means that it's split up evenly between two people that are pulling something. And that's what we have to do. We have to come alongside someone and see that burden that they're carrying and tell them, you don't have to do this alone. You're struggling with this issue. That's a weight. It's a sin that's just weighing you down. It's overwhelming you. But you don't have to carry that anymore. I'm going to come alongside you. Put your shoulder over my shoulder. You might be limping right now, but you can lean on me. And I'm strong enough through the power of Christ in me so that together we can walk out of this. It's hard to bear other people's burdens, though, because it means that you're going to have to carry something else, something that rightfully might not be yours. You think, why do I want to get involved in this situation? This is such a mess. Have you guys ever seen, had a friend or, or someone that you knew, and you saw the situation they were in, and you were just like, oh my gosh, like what have they got themselves into? How, uh, like, I am just at a loss for how we even move forward from here. I want nothing. We want to be like Pilate. We're like, I'm just going to wash my hands of this one. You're on your own. And it's so easy for us to fail our brothers and sisters in their time of need because we look at that burden, we look at the cost that it's going to be for us to walk alongside of them in something, to, to have them bear their heart to you, for you to put the time investment, the emotional investment into it. You look and you say, oh my gosh, that is, that's just more than I'm looking to take on right now. I mean, that's their decision. I, I'm not the one that got them into this place, so why should I have to suffer for it? Well, it's because they're your brother, they're your sister. And we love them. And we can't stand to see our family suffer and be destroyed. There is nothing that I wouldn't do financially, physically, emotionally to see that my parents and my sisters are cared for. I would, I would do anything. I would lay down my life for my family. And that's the way we've been called to live with our church family. When someone has that need, you can't just look at that need and let it pass by. You have to be compelled by love inside of you to pick up that burden, to make that sacrifice, to empty yourself, to humble yourself so that they can be blessed by it, so that they can be strengthened, so they can be restored. Because someone did it for you. And ultimately, Jesus did it for every one of us. He didn't have to carry the burden of our sin. There's one person ever that didn't deserve what they got, it was Jesus. But he gave up the glory of heaven. He gave up his rights that were his. He emptied himself of power. He came and he suffered. He came and he served. He came and he bore our burdens so that we could be restored. And that's the way that we've been called to love and to lay ourselves down for those in our family. And in doing this, we fulfill the law of Christ. When they came to Jesus and they said, what are, what's the greatest commandment? He says, this is what it is. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. That's including the, the, everything that we are is supposed to be about loving Jesus. And he says, and the second one is equally important, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all of the law is summed up in these two things. 
If we want to follow God's will for our lives, if we want to live the way that he's called us to, it means that we first of all have to love Jesus, submit ourselves fully to him, and it means that we also have to love our neighbors and submit ourselves to them. And if we do that, then we fulfill the law. Everything that God's called us to fulfilled in those two statements. It's impossible for us to fulfill the law of Christ if we don't look at our neighbors, if we don't look at our brothers and sisters and love them in a sacrificial, restorative, redemptive way. We can never despise people because of their weaknesses. We can never think people are just getting what they deserve or think it doesn't affect us. It's not our, you know, this isn't my fight. If it happens to a brother or sister, it is your fight. And we're called to respond. And we're called to respond in the way of Jesus. Um, this is one of those stories I'm not real proud about. But I think it really illustrates what it is that we need to create as a church. Uh, my wife, who is just unbelievable, just such an incredible blessing to me, and really she's the behind-the-scenes rock of Radiant Church. And when I went to my assessment uh, to plant a church, the guy told me, he said, your greatest strength is your wife better than your teaching ability, leadership ability, any of those other things. Your wife is the greatest thing that Radiant Church will ever have going for it. And I, I believe that with all of my heart. We are blessed because of her. She is God's gift to me, and I cannot thank God enough for that. But I've been a real jerk to her. And I remember one time we were getting ready. She was taking me to the airport to drop me off, and I'm a punctuality freak. Like, if you're on time, you're late. If you're five minutes early, you're, you're cutting it too close. Like, I like to be early for things. You know how it is with security lines at airports. So I'm stressed out because I'm leaving. And, uh, I, like, and she's late, and she like, left her keys in the house. Like, I had to go back and get them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I the keys in the house. And then we're going, and like, she forgot something else. Went back in the house and got it and came back out. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is really starting to stress me out now. And so we're driving down the road, and it's like you know, going to the Detroit Metro Airport, which is you know, it's off 94, and she's like, I forgot my phone. I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. She's like, I don't know how to get home if I don't have my phone. And I'm like, it's super duper easy. All you do is you just take 94 all the way there, and then you take 94 all the way back. It's like so easy. She's like, no, I won't know how to do it. I'm going to get lost. I'm like, no, 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 seriously, you just take 94 all the way there, and then you take 94 all the way back. And she's like, but without my phone, I'm going to get lost. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's the easiest thing. You'd have to be an idiot not to be able to find your way back. She just put her head down as she's driving, which is super dangerous. <laughs> but I didn't say anything about it. And I just went quiet. Because I just called my wife an idiot. God's provision to me, the one who I stood at the altar, holding her hands, looking into her eyes, and saying, forever I'm going to love you. I'm going to cherish you forever. And I broke my vows. And I said that. And instantly I knew in my heart what I'd done. And I'm like, Anna, I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all good. And that never means it's all good. <laughs> well, like, you know, it's dropping me off and I'm going and it's like, Anna, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry you forgive me. She's like, yeah, it's okay. And so I go there and like, I know like what's happened in my heart that it got hard enough that I could say that about my wife. And I'm like, I'm really concerned about this. 
and nobody else in the entire world knew that I had done this. I could have kept it a secret where it's just been her and I that ever knew it. But I said, there's something wrong with my heart. There has been some hardness that has crept in my heart towards my wife or else I never would have said that towards her. And if I allow that to continue to fester and to grow inside of me, where's it going to go from there? What's it going to do to my marriage? And so I got together with Mike Popenhagen, who's one of the overseers of our church and a good friend of mine. And I'm concerned, like, he has the power to remove me from this church. He's one of the overseers. I want to look good to him. And I told him, I said, hey, Mike, I got to talk to you. He's like, what's going on? And I said, I, you know, I was, I, I called my wife an idiot. And I really hurt her. And there's something wrong with my heart. And I need help. And so he talked me through it and we prayed together and came up with some things I needed to do to, to work restoration and to make sure that my heart was going to stay in check and that he was going to continue to check in on me and make sure that I was honoring my wife and loving her and that we were doing well. And I'm like, it was awkward and it was vulnerable having to tell someone that you look up to, someone that looks up to you, having to confess that to them. But here's what it did. Was it brought it out into the light it allowed my heart issue and the hardness of my heart to be dealt with. And it made it so that that sin was pulled up by the root. It wasn't just trying to chop it off and hide it from everybody else. The root of that sin was pulled out of my heart. And I was able to go back and talk to Anna about it and tell her, hey, look, I, I confess this, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm so sorry. And she's, you know, she broke down crying, and she, you know, we were able to go through that. And my marriage is better now than it's ever been because there was restoration. None of us is above sin. We're all going to fall into it. We're all going to have those moments of where we do things that we never thought that we would do. But what are we going to do when we find ourselves in that place? So this is what we have to do. So number one, we have to be restorers. We have to be those that can look into our our circle of influence, the people that are around us, the people that God has given us influence with, and be able to create an environment where them, when they're struggling, they're able to come to us, where they don't have to hide sin from us because they know that we love them unconditionally and that our heart is for them. We're not going to shame them. We're not going to isolate them. We're not going to disqualify them, but we're going to say, you found yourself in a bad place, but through the power of Jesus and through the power of confession, you're able to overcome this. Who is it? Who's the brother or sister in your life that's struggling and you need to go to them because they've been overwhelmed by a sin and if you don't go to them, they're going to continue to stay in that pit or they're going to walk through the rest of their life with a limp because that bone was never set right and they were never able to be healed. Who is it that you have to go to? Maybe you just need to create that environment where people know they're able to come to you. And then secondly, we have to be restored. Well, what sin issue are you struggling with right now? What's the sin that's overwhelmed you? What's that thing if you were never planning on doing this but somehow you found yourself there and try as you might, you can't overcome it on your own. You just keep falling back into it because you're trapped, you're ensnared in it. What is that sin? You need to go to someone and you need to confess that to them. Sometimes it means that you're going to have to take a risk because maybe you haven't gone to that place in that relationship yet. 
But the only way that you're going to be able to overcome that is if you start developing relationships in your life. When we as Radiant Church create a culture of where people can come and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And it doesn't matter what that thing is that you're struggling with. It needs to be a place where we don't condemn people, we don't shame them through it. We come alongside them. We bear that burden with them. We gently approach them because we want to see them restored. We don't want to see destruction in their life. We want to see the full promises and prosperity of Jesus inside of them. We want to see them walk in the fullness of God's destiny and his call on them. We want to see them healthy. We want to see them restored. But have you been restored? What is it that you need to get real about with someone else? Who can you go to? Do you have friends like that right now? You need to develop that kind of relationship where someone has influence and they have authority in your life. I have a, a circle of friends where I told them, guys, look, you have full opportunity, full rights to come in and to say, Jeremy, I think that you're struggling here. I think that you're, you're, you need some help in this area. And at first, I might be like, what are you talking about? You struggled. You know, it's not easy to hear that. But you need to be open and humble and real enough with people that they have that kind of influence in your life. Because if you don't, you will fall into a pit. Every one of us is going to. You will be overcome by a sin at some point in your life. And you will stay there, and you will stay there, and you will stay there. And it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus forgave our sins. He gave us the power to overcome sin. And he gave us a family of people that are going to come alongside us as brothers and sisters and walk with us through that. You guys pray with me this morning. God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? What is it that we need to do with this? Jesus, would you show us if we've been a restorer or if we've been indifferent or if we've been a condemner. And God, would you change our hearts? Would you give us the love like you have? Would you give us, give us mercy and grace like you have, like was shown to us on the cross? God, would you put a love inside of us for our brothers and sisters that we would pay any price to see them healthy. And God, where do we need to be restored? Would you search our hearts? Would you know us? Would you show us that place of where we've been living caught in sin, where there's been a bondage or something that we're stuck in? God, would you reveal that to us? And Father, this morning we repent of that. God, forgive us of our sin. And Jesus, would you strengthen us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to resist the temptation that comes along with it? God, would you silence the voice of the enemy that speaks lies to us, that condemns us, that accuses us, that shames us? 
And God, would you give us the strength and the humility in our own hearts to go to someone, to be real and open and honest and confess what it is that we're struggling with. And God, that they would gently be able to restore us and to bear our burdens. Because God, we don't want to be overcome. God, we want to be overcomers. Jesus, we want the fullness of everything that you have for us. The life that you've called us to is too important. It's something that we can't put at risk. We need to live free. Jesus, you died to make us free. So God, would you bring people into our lives who can be a part of that process? God, would you even put people on our hearts right now that we need to go to? God, that we need to, to confess this to. Jesus, work healing and work restoration inside of us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.